I'll start with a nice word on Parshas Meshputem. The Avas Shulam, on the Pusik in case of Talvez, Ami is Uni Imach. Pusik, the mitzvah of Tzedukah. So he brings the Gemurah, the Gemurah says that Aniyeichu Vaniyeichu, Aniyeichu Koidman. Right? If you first have your own Aniyim, and then there are Aniyim in your town, in your city, then you first have to give to your own Aniyim. Um, if it's Aniyeh Irechu Vaniyeh Irecheres, if you have, if there are Aniyim in your city and Aniyim in another city, then you first have to give to the ones in your city. And there's a, there's a way that Tzedakah is lined up in, in terms of uh, preference and priority. Who comes first? She says that the, the Lushan Koidman, Aniyechu Koidman, Aniyechu Koidman, what does it mean, Koidman? She says it's like Hagdoma, Lushan Hagdoma. Somebody writes a cipher, and he's afraid that maybe people won't understand the cipher well, so he writes Hagdoma to help people understand the cipher. Hagdoma is like the introduction, basically, to the next piece. Aniyechu Koidman, to Aniya Irachir, it doesn't mean that they come first and that's where you stop. It means the introduction to being able to give people that are even further away from you is by first giving those that are closer to you. See, Hashem wants that a person should be able to give tzedakah, and Hashem knows that it's hard for a person to give tzedakah. So Hashem says, you know what, start with the people that you care for most. Your family members, people living on your block, those are the people you care for, that you see them up close. Give them first. That's going to be Hagadumah, Koidman, to the people in your town. And when you give to the people in your town because you feel a little more responsible for them, you'll give to the next people in the next town. And, like, and, and that's, how, that's how slowly a person um, gets himself accustomed to giving tzedakah and helping people out, even those that he didn't have initially that strong feeling for. And I think on, on a similar note, on a similar, when it comes to Chinech um, of course everyone wants to take care of all their children and give them, and, and give them um, provide for them all their needs emotionally, psychologically, materially, physically. And uh, sometimes it's easier to give one child over the other. Sometimes when somebody starts giving one, it, it helps bring out of a parent the ability and the desire you know, to, to give all the children what they need. And sometimes you start with a child who needs it most. That child actually might be the hardest to give it to sometimes. But the point is that when you start with one, and you start giving a child, you start giving of yourself, you start investing in children, especially in those that need it most, the point is not that that's where you stop. Very often when I talk about um, specific needs of specific children, people ask me this question, oh, so it's, it's only this child that I have to invest in, it's only this one that I have to care about, the other children are good to go? The answer is no. You start with one, and slowly you get yourself used to giving and taking care of your children. But it is true that some children need it more than others. It is true that sometimes parents who only have a certain amount of energy to invest, and a certain amount of time to give away, you shouldn't only be giving one, but sometimes you have to know uh, which child might need it first or most or more than others. And Mitzvah Hashem taking care of all our children will hopefully uh, bring the best results from all of them with Hashem's help. So let me just read a, a letter somebody sent me over here. Good afternoon, Rabbi Gruen Shlita. Okay. Yeshua are very informative and extremely carefully worded. Thank you. I have a question about my 13-year-old daughter. She's a very sensitive girl, but very well-liked and does very well in school with good friends. She tends to eat little, but we never push her with this. Although quite slim, she's happy and well-disposed and healthy, Baruch Hashem. We have had the past three times of the back-to-school period where she is overcome by some strong feelings and cries. This is, the day of going back to, this is the day of going back to school, but it could linger for a few days as well. It's so strong that she leaves school in the middle. We tested her the first time and she was after a strep infection, which then was treated and she was fine. This time she was tested and was found negative. Before we go for blood work, I was wondering if you have any advice if this could be something to do, if there could be something to do to strengthen herself. Have you ever encountered something like this? 
Thank you. Okay, so I'll start with the last line first. Um, have I ever encountered something like this? Uh, probably not a week goes by. I must have said this in public before, and it, it's, it still remains true. Probably not a week goes by, approximately, and not a week goes by that people don't call me about kids that are not going to school, or going to yeshiva, or cheder, or for whatever reason, a child's having a problem. So it's not always the back-to-school uh, season. Obviously, then it's even more more common, but this is, this is all too common. Um, and in general, a girl who's very sensitive is also common. Um, and every, every, everything, about, everything about what I'm reading over here is quite common. Even the little eating and the picky eating or whatever else is also common. And people tell me all the time that just listening to the questions that I talk about is comforting because they realize that whatever they're dealing with and they thought that it's only one of a kind, uh, maybe in their family it is, maybe between their children there's only one child who's having an issue going to school, etc. But this is definitely very common. So if the question is if I ever, if I ever encountered something like this, I'll say that yes, very, very often, very frequently. So let's just start with the basics again. I hope nobody gets uh, nervous from hearing me like a broken tape recorder talk about the same things again and again. That's, at least that's how I feel. But sensitivity with children, uh, with adults, sensitivity is inherent. In most cases, sensitivity is not developed as part of a person's personality. Uh, there are people that are more sensitive than others. It's true that when somebody is reacting very sensitively, very emotionally, there could be a lot involved. There could be some nurture and some upbringing and some trauma and things that caused it. But generally, the person themselves is also very sensitive by nature. And that's something that very many people don't, don't realize or don't want to realize or don't want to deal with or cater to. And they want to blame different things in the past or they want to you know, blame other people for a sensitive reaction. But it's so important to understand this when it comes to children. One of the Yisoides and Chinech I just finished giving a chinuch course, and somebody pointed out to me a, a pelioya. I mean, it's, it's so basic. Um, in Oizbais, on the chapter of Ben, he talks about how, to, how we have to invest koiches in each child based on their nature and yechoilis, age, stage, personality, capabilities. That's what chinuch is about. It's about understanding each child separately. And I think that Baruch Hashem, the gave me a schir to bring about a lot of awareness, a lot of awareness to parents understand sensitive children specifically. Very often, parents are aware that some children are just brighter, or more gifted, or more talented, or more studious, or less, you know, things like that. But to pick up on sensitivity and realize that, yes, this is a major and a very distinct um, difference between children, and it's responsible for so many differences we see in children, and knowing how to understand and cater to the needs of a sensitive child, that's, that's definitely a very, very big part of understanding that because this child is so emotional and so sensitive, we're going to take that seriously. Um, I'll just mention, even though it was just written in, you know, between the lines, um, she tends to eat very little. I don't know if it's very little amounts or very little foods, very few foods, but the, a, a picky eater, and sometimes the overeater as well, not as often, but the picky eater uh, generally is a very sensitive um, child, very often, Children who are sensitive, hypersensitivity is not just in, the, in their emotions, it's in their thinking process as well, which brings children and people to be black and white and think in a splitting perception of all or none, because they can't tolerate anything great because of their sensitivity and how they understand things. And very often physically as well. You see it with sensory issues, you see it with eating and other things. And uh, it's, it's all part of just understanding a child well and, and, not, and not bashing them or comparing them or belittling them, you know, for, for being a picky eater. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to cater to a child and make all the menus they want. It doesn't mean you have to give them whatever they want or let them get away with whatever, whatever they want and give them all the nash they want if they're not eating what they're supposed to. But just something about understanding it and not making a child feel bad for being, 
to having these sensory. In general, eating issues is not simple to resolve. I'm sure whoever tried getting children to go on diet, I keep on saying children, even though obviously this is, this is all pertains to adults as well, but whoever tried getting their children to go on diet and lose weight knows how hard it is. It's very hard to control a child's eating. Uh, but especially when it comes to picky eating, and children who have that aversion or that low tolerance to different things that they don't handle well, sometimes it gets a little overdone, sometimes it's a little extreme, uh, but in general, it's not, it's not easy to control. My point is just that don't address it in a way that's emotionally challenging. Whatever you do want to do, or whatever you don't want to do, as long as you're not hurting a child's feelings, or assuming that if you'll just make them feel bad enough, they're going to break, you know, it's very important to understand that this is inherent and a personality, and it would be a shame to make a child feel bad about. Um, in general, sensitive children are often seen as problematic, and that's because sensitivity could bring a person to different problems and issues. Uh, but so often, sensitive children are doing just fine. Very often, they're actually doing the best. Whenever I talk to teachers in Malamdom, I always point out that the best kid in the class is usually a sensitive child whose sensitivities is bringing out the best of him, whether it's a certain depth and talent and creativity and perfectionism that makes him want to succeed better than others. Sensitivity is not a problem. The fact that you have a sensitive daughter who is well-liked and happy and doing well in school and things like that is wonderful. It's not a chiddish, it's wonderful. That's how it should be. And most often when a sensitive child is feeling emotionally comfortable and taken care of and, and, and respected and loved and cared for, um, that's the results you get. So to see a child doing well in every area, um, I don't know, if despite or together with that natural sensitivity that's not going away, that's a wonderful thing. Um, one more general idea before I get to the question over here about the school, but the, the balance that I always suggest and talk about when it comes to sensitive children it's a balance of making sure the child is as emotionally comfortable as possible, whether it means resisting, being critical, or, or accusing or blaming, or too controlling, and, and different things that sensitive children can't handle. At the same time, you know, being complimentary and appreciative and, and boosting a child's confidence and ego and making them feel good. That's all about making a child feel emotionally comfortable. Every child needs it a lot. But like we started off, some children need it more than others, and some children are more dependent on that emotional comfort. At the same time, it's so important to have the healthy boundary where a child knows that they can't, they can't just um, ask for whatever they want and get whatever they want and pull you in to whatever they want. It, it's so important not to get you know, pulled in. Um, sometimes, especially children who are having different issues or difficulties, whether it's in school or wherever it is, going back to school, uh, just another example, or, or with picky eating also, um, they start they start demanding things and they start asking for things and because you don't want to rock the boat and you don't want to make them feel bad or you don't want to have to deal with the reaction that sometimes children uh, will tantrum about so some people um, they go into the mode of uh, catering to whatever the child wants giving in it's okay you don't have to go to school you don't have to eat this you don't have to do that I'll do this for you I'll do that for you I'll talk to this about, I'll talk to you about this I'll let you quetch to me and things like that sometimes when it's all on the child's terms and not on your own and there's no healthy boundaries, no healthy structure, no healthy discipline, aside from the fact that it's not good for such a child. These children need structure. They have to know when yes and what not. What will be tolerated, what won't be tolerated. What they have to do, what they don't have to do, what they can't do. It's all very important, and that's what helps these children thrive. But sometimes, even when you, just to make things a little easier, you want to give in more, it doesn't bring the right results. You'll see. Just, just recently I was um, talking to a parent of a child who the child keeps on complaining and keeps on whining and keeps on coming with all kinds of different issues that she's dealing with. And the ironic part is, he tells me, that I could listen to her for an hour and a half stretch, and I validate and I listen and I'm compassionate until I just can't anymore because I have to leave. And when I get up to leave, she's like, oh, you never listen to me. You never listen to me. You never have time for me. 
and the guy's thinking, I'm giving you hours and hours, whenever I could, every, every extra minute I have, you're taking from me, and it's not enough, and I'm giving you nothing, so the nothing and everything part, that's part of the black and white perception, but sometimes, letting a child take your time, whenever they want, and giving it to them, them whatever they, and saying whatever they want, and talking about whatever they want, it doesn't make them feel good, if they're the ones taking it, and controlling it, it doesn't make them feel good, you'll accomplish much more, when you go over to them, on your terms, when you have time and say, wow, I have five minutes, but I so much want to hear what's going on in your day. Wow, you came over to me. And those five minutes, you could accomplish more than an hour that they were controlling the conversation and controlling you and knowing subconsciously, you're only talking to me because I'm coming over to you and asking for attention. The, my point was just that um, making someone feel emotionally comfortable doesn't always mean doing it on their terms. It's not good for anyone to see everything go on their terms and to always give in. And at some point, you won't be able to give whatever they want. And that's where they're going to say, oh, you don't give me anything. So that's just a, a very general balance um, before we get to school issues. One more thing I just want to get out of the way is the, is the strep issue. Now, I know what I'm going to say might, come, might be controversial, and a lot of people might not like to hear it, but uh, I guess once in a while you have to say something controversial if you want to stay in the headlines. Um, very many parents who are dealing with children with sensitivity issues and all these kind of emotional difficulties or challenges, whether it comes to relationships or other issues that children deal with, so often we try to blame it on some kind of physical thing. Okay? So people talk about strep, people talk about Lyme disease, people talk about pandas, and all these different names of things which are essentially physical with a, with a strong emotional uh, component. Right? Strong emotional repercussions. So it's a doctor thing, you're getting antibiotic, you're going for doctor visits, and, and the kid became a whole um, choyle. Um, and, and, and all the symptoms, because a lot of these things are really uh, very hard to see or pick up on, or or determine how much they are or aren't there, or how real they are, and all the symptoms are just emotional. Now, I'm not against any of these symptoms, and some of them might be real, some of them might be imaginary, I don't know. I never studied them. So I'm resisting giving an opinion. But I will say that most often the children that are um, diagnosed with these things are most often sensitive children, and it's so simple to understand that their sensitivity alone could have caused all these issues. A sensitive child could have all these issues that the children who are being diagnosed with um, Lyme or pandas are having. So, so at what point do we decide that maybe it's just a, na- a personality thing and a natural thing? Now, the difference, it doesn't make such a big difference what you're going to call it. The difference is how you're going to deal with it. If you're deciding that a child has a physical issue and you're just going to run from doctor to doctor to find the right cure, then you're, not rely- you're relying on something to help this child with all those emotional problems, but you're not catering to the child's emotional needs because a child is just suffering from a certain condition, so we'll have to find the right doctor. Now, if it would work, that would be wonderful. Last week, I, I spoke at an event, and I was talking about sensitivity with children, and how to understand children, take care of them, and somebody came over to me and started talking to me about pandas. I said, hey, what do, you, do, you, do you believe in it? Do you hold of it? Do you like it? Do you do? I said, I never started it, I don't know. I said, what do you think about it? I'm asking him, he has experience. He has a child who was diagnosed with pandas a long time ago. And he's telling me that, you know, based on what you just said before about sensitive children in your, in your speech, that's everything my child is dealing with. I said, okay. And my child was diagnosed with pandas, and that's what we're treating. I said, okay. And is your child healed? And this is the question people don't like to hear. In, in other words, if treating pandas for the longest time didn't help you, maybe it's time to just treat your child like, like I suggest treating a UV child. I'm not saying to, to ignore anything a doctor's telling you, ever. But maybe just understanding it, instead of getting distracted from the real issue of how children get emotionally challenged, and dealing, dealing with it the right way might help you. That's without going into 
another whole topic of Munchausen disorder, uh, of people who come up with all kinds of different diagnoses and sicknesses and, and ailments and whatever. For whatever other reasons, people might want to do that. My point is just that you, when you get distracted from the real issue, it's very hard to help a child. It's very hard to help a child. So, so this is just something to, you know, people may, maybe again, I, I don't mean to, I don't mean to put anyone in a bad, uh, make anyone feel bad or, or, or imply anything. But sometimes it's easier to diagnose a child with a physical thing like this. Nobody's at fault. Nobody has to learn anything or do anything differently than we did till now because a you know, child has a, has a bronchitis, has a strep, or whatever. It's a physical thing. It, it might just make everyone around feel better. But if it's not helping your child. To, to address that diagnosis, maybe it's time to understand that there are emotional needs that are very important to address. So in this case also, just in this letter, you know, the first time it was strep, second time it isn't strep. You know, strep is very common, but um, you know, if this is a back-to-school issue that you see by a sensitive child and not by other children, I'm, I'm assuming that the strep is more common in your family than the going-back-to-school issue. And I would assume that going back to school might not have anything to do with strep at all. Okay, with all that said, let's just go back to the example that we're discussing over here, about going back to school. Going back to school for sensitive children, and like I said before, almost not a week goes by that I don't have uh, phone calls about children not going to school, and I can say that 99% of them, it's a big number, 99% of them are sensitive children, and it's, emotional challenge, it's emotionally challenging for whatever reason to go back to school, whether it's the transition or the surprise or the social setting which is which causes anxiety, even if a child looks like they're doing fine between friends, or is the way the teacher or the Rebbe is looking at them, or whether it's the learning and the pressure and the authority and the control. It's, it's issues that sensitive children don't handle well. And very often that's what you're left with. Now some people go into the mode of debating and explaining, which doesn't work when you're dealing with emotional issues. It's not a logical thing. Some people go into the mode of forcing and coming with pressure and making it happen, which sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. When children are young enough, you can force them, you can throw them onto the bus, you can push them. And you can lock them out of the house, but very often that's not really that's not really working much. Um, I, I think in general, again, I'm saying something general, and I, I, I had the schus to apply this hundreds and hundreds of times. In general, making a child feel really understood, first of all, when a child doesn't want to go to school, don't make him feel like a baby, and don't prove him wrong, and don't show him how nobody else has the issue, so he must be lying. You know, all that is emotionally challenging. Don't make that mistake. So as long as you can make a child feel really validated, really understood, really cared for, really loved, and you're going to ask them how it is, and you can give them all the attention for everything that they're not happy about, and at the same time, you're not going to, you're not going to force them to go, and you're not going to tell them they have to go, and you're not going to make huge consequences for not going, because even if that will work, it's not addressing the emotional um, comfortability that a child needs to be happy and succeed in school. But at the same time, you're not being overly accommodating or enabling with a child who's not going to school. And that's a very important point. Sometimes we go to extremes. We either push the kid to go, even if they're kicking and screaming and fighting or whatever, and or we're letting him come home and play with his toys and mommy's, mommy's making him breakfast and lunch and supper and keeping him busy and taking him shopping because what should I do with him and he has nothing to do and I feel so bad. You know, it's not one or the other. If you're going to make a child too comfortable at home, you could be sure that he might not be going to school much. Very many children love being at home. Corona was the best thing for a lot of kids. Uh, the balance of making a child feel really understood and emotionally comfortable but at the same time, not being overly accommodating and enabling by making the child feel too comfortable, that, that's a very strong balance. So when a kid comes home, and again, the first day you could always push a kid to go back. I, I don't mean to get too extreme over here, but when it does become an issue, and a child stays home, you say, wow, I really understand that it's hard for you. 
If you can't go, you can't go. I could offer you an incentive to go, but it's up to you. If you stay home, please stay in your room because mommy's very busy by day and mommy can't necessarily make you breakfast, lunch, or supper. Mommy just makes supper for the children. Uh, breakfast they eat in cheder and lunch uh, is also, you know. So if you want, you can take a, a snack or, or, you know, like you would have one snack or you could have some rice cakes or find something, some cereal. You have to go back to your room. Or sometimes if a child's old enough, it's fine to say, mommy has to go shopping, mommy likes going alone. For whatever reason, you can stay home alone. And many people think that if they let the child stay home, the child will stay home forever. And you'd be surprised. Some children stay home for a day or two or three, max. And nobody, almost nobody stays there longer than that. They want to be in Chedron school. Now, another important point is to make them feel understood and take care of whatever is bothering them. If a child is not going to school or Chedron, you want to call the malamad, you want to call the teacher, you want to do something to show that you care about what's happening and that you're there to solve a problem. Without getting too codependent that you have to solve it the way the child wants, etc. My point is just that taking the child seriously doesn't mean making them feel too comfortable. And generally, when you're not catering too much, you're not enabling, they're going to go. Now, over here, we're talking about an older girl. We're not talking about a, a little kid who's playing at home and just reading books. So I, I think it's generally similar, making her feel like you really understand her, not blaming her for it, not putting it down, the validation, all the good feeling. And then, you know, not not uh, not letting her just come home and feel great about it, and it's fine, you don't have to go to school, it's not so important. It, it, it's fine to have the balance, and it's important to have the balance. Now, the 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 part over here that's a little that's a little easier to address, I would call it, and it's something that also you know, people don't always do it. In, in my chelima stories that I say, I have the classes once a week about the chelima stories. One of the, one of the common themes in chelim, one of the silliness of chelim, um, was that that people didn't learn from experience. They kept on making the same mistake again and again, either assuming that this time it will be different or forgetting what happened and not connecting the dots, not noticing the pattern. Now, when it comes to anything about chinuch and anything about children, it's so important to notice the patterns. Now, sometimes people just are oblivious. They don't notice the patterns until it's too late. They don't realize that, hey, this is coming again. This is a Shkodesh issue. There's a Pesach issue. This is a sharing issue. This is a, a going away issue. This is a, you know, there's so many things that are so common, we just don't pick up on them sometimes. And then there are the patterns we don't want to pick up on, hoping that they're going to go away. A child's older. Maybe this Pesach will be different. Maybe a hearing. And it's nice to hope and assume but sometimes hoping doesn't give you the opportunity to address it in advance. One of the mildest of addressing things in advance in general with a UV kid, with a sensitive child, whether it's bedtime or it's a Shabbos meal, discussion about the Shabbos Sida or anything, if you address things in advance, it's not emotionally challenging. If a, if a kid doesn't want to sit by the Shabbos table for whatever reason, he doesn't have his chair, he doesn't have his thing, and, and as you're making kids, you call him over, okay, I want to talk to you about this. It's not the right time. It's very emotionally challenging. When it's 9 o'clock and you want a kid to get to bed and you call him over and say, listen, this is not good, this is going, it's not good, you're not going to bed on time, it's the wrong time. Now it's emotionally challenging to feel forced into bed or out of bed and be obnoxious. And When you talk to a child two hours before or two days before about something that's coming, it's not emotionally challenging, it's not relevant right now. Now it's a discussion, now it's logic. Very often if you say it in the right way and, and you're not challenging or getting personal, the child will hear what you're saying. So part of learning patterns lets you prepare for them and deal with them when it's not yet challenging. So if you know that your daughter has a back-to-school issue, sometimes it's best to think, you know what, I hope it's not going to happen again, so I don't want to talk about it, maybe this time she'll go. But if you have reason to assume that she might not go, and you could prepare in advance, don't be afraid to bring it up. Bring it up in a nice way, not like, oh, you have this issue every time, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be a problem. You know, Obviously, don't get negative. But you could say, you know, I remember last time this was an issue, I think it's normal, this issue, and I don't think it's your fault, and maybe we can find a way to deal with it. And very often just talking about it or preparing someone for it 
or, or even just offering help about how could we deal with it? Do you think we should come up with something? Think about it. You have another week to school. Sometimes that's very comforting and helpful. I think I once mentioned the example of a father who told me that he had a son going to a new yeshiva and he saw that he was very anxious about it and a week before the news mom, he walked with his son over to the yeshiva and he showed him the building and the bathrooms, you know, how to get in, how to get out, with a lunchroom, he shouldn't have to ask anyone and it was just so comforting for a child to know in advance what's going to be and it took care of a lot of his anxiety and all the, you know, all the, the transitioning into a new, a new experience that he wasn't, that he wasn't ready for. And of course, if this is not enough, and you see that this is getting a little overdone, you might want to talk to someone in school, um, one at a time. You might want to have someone in school in general just catch your daughter. In other words, when she comes, let, let, let make her feel more comfortable. It's funny how some girls look so comfortable, and you'd never think they're not comfortable, but they aren't, and that's why they're running away. That's why something's, there's some kind of anxiety going on. If you could have a teacher look out for her and give her the smile and make her feel good and give her a job the first day, and she feels special and respected and important, chances are she's not going to run away from school. Sometimes, sometimes nobody's on the lookout for her, or there to catch her or notice her, and that's why that part is challenging. Sometimes that alone is part of the challenge, like how, how am I going to be taken this time, will I, will I be important, and things like that. If none of this helps, that's when you might want to talk to a mechanechus, or slash therapist, or somebody who's, who's intelligent, intelligent, not just licensed, intelligent, or maybe not licensed at all, but intelligent, and knows how to deal with this issue and keep it an isolated issue instead of opening cans and cans of worms about all the anxiety and all of this and all the problems that this child has and all of a sudden becoming a major case, if she's a good girl and she's a happy girl and her issue is just getting back to school, then have someone deal with just that. And if you find someone who knows how to do it in a sensitive way um, you know, and make the child feel comfortable, instead of turning it into a bigger issue, then I think that's also a very good um, way to deal with this. If the simple way of you trying to deal with it is not working. So I'm just going to end by saying that obviously with anything that's emotional and with, with sensitive children, almost every difficulty is emotional. And with children that are emotional, um, don't use logic and don't try to come up with a simple way of doing it or explaining it, especially if it's not working. Um, and instead, you know, try to deal with the emotional aspect of it to make a child feel really comfortable and like I said, not to, not to make it too easy for them to do the wrong thing. You know, so, so just to to summarize, you know, sensitivity is inherent and it's part of what, what you deal with with certain children and it's important to address and be open to and, and learn the balance of what does work instead of looking for excuses or who to blame or what kind of physical things to blame when a child is um, struggling emotionally with whatever it is. When it comes to going back to school, obviously this is very regular, but dealing with it in advance and making a child feel comfortable at school and making, sure, making them feel understood, that, that could do it. And if not, you get someone else to help you. And like we started, just like the idea of tzedakah, you start with aniyechu, aniyechu, and then further. There, there are priorities when it comes to tzedakah, and some of the priorities are where it's easier to do. With sensitive children as well, there are definitely, there are definitely, um, there are definitely priorities when it comes to children, but which ones need more. And sometimes understanding the individual needs of children also makes it somewhat easier to do. It's easier to invest sometimes in a child who you know needs it more. And when you get into the mode of investing in children, it makes it easier to invest in all your children and be involved in chinuch and be invested in chinuch and think about chinuch, avoid your children, and with Hashem's help with the proper investment and a lot of siyat and a lot of tefillah, we have the sinachas from all our children.